Well, it's nice to be with you once again this evening. I also add my own words of welcome to all who are gathered. For those who are watching online, there is uh, quite a number sick. We hear day and daily of those who are getting uh, some sort of a fever or bug, but we're glad that you've made it out to God's house, and we look to Him for His blessing. Let's turn to 1 Peter, please, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read the opening nine verses of this chapter together, and then we'll look to the Lord. Word of prayer once again. So, First Peter chapter one, and commencing our reading at verse one. So let's hear the word of our God, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Let's again just still ourselves and come and ask for his blessing, even as we gather around his truths. Let's unite together in prayer. Eternal God and loving Father, we bless and thank thee for this privilege again to come together Thy word has commanded us and exhorted us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We thank thee for the visible church. We thank thee, Lord, for uh, this privilege to come and to meet with those of like precious faith. We've been reading here of precious faith, and we thank thee, Lord, for that faith that has been given unto us. We thank thee, Lord, that Christ has died and purchased for us every blessing in that great covenant of grace. And Lord, we thank Thee, Lord, that uh, Thou hast blessed us abundantly in and through our Saviour and Redeemer. We think of those who cannot be here tonight, uh, those who are maybe laid upon their beds of sickness. And Lord, they have, uh, Lord, that heaviness upon their, uh, their mind and they cannot concentrate. And uh, Lord, all these things that befall us when we're sick and weary. But we pray for such, Lord, that You'll draw near to them and You'll leave Thy good hand upon them. And you'll encourage their dear heart. And Lord, for those who have managed to tune in and use this means of the internet, we pray that thy blessing will come to them. And Lord, that you would use this ministry for the glory and honor of thy name. But for us here, Lord, we pray that thou would shut us in. Take away distractions. Lord, focus our minds upon the word. Speak to us. Change us. Mold us, O God. May we not leave this house, Lord, the same way in which we come in. O Lord. Uh, you desire us to go on with thee. And Lord, we pray that this will be our case tonight. So, Lord, help the preacher. I pray for 
the infilling of the Spirit of the Lord. I need thy help. I confess my great unworthiness, mine inability, O God, my weakness, O God. But we think of the words of Christ as he spoke of Mary. She had done what she could. And, and so tonight, Lord, we endeavor to do what we can. And we pray that thou would use it and bless it abundantly to thy dear children. Lord, speak to all our hearts. Encourage us and lead us in the things of our God. For this we ask in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Now we have been considering the names of the Lord and especially the compound names of Jehovah. And the purpose in that is not simply to gain knowledge, although that is important, but that with the understanding of these names and the revelation that they give to us of the character of our God, that we would be better employed to call upon Him in prayer. For example, He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. And when we ask for those things that we need, He will surely give them to us. And the chief thing, of course, that every man needs is a righteousness which is not their own. And He has provided that for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Therefore, every other thing that is needful for us, and that is for our good, the Lord will provide it for us. Because He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee, well then we can call upon Him in our times of sickness, and ultimately look forward to that final and complete healing that we will have of our bodies on the last day, when we have a body that is made like unto His glorious body. As he is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. Well, then we have confidence in the fight. We're not fighting alone. We have one who is the captain of our salvation. We have one who is on the battlefield even before we reach it. And we know that even though the enemies of the gospel beset us round about on every side, we are fighting in the victory under the banner of Christ's cross. Now, the last time in our consideration of this subject, we looked at a compound name that is often missed, Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord which sanctifieth thee. And that's first found in Exodus chapter 31 and the verse 13. And we read there, I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. And we looked at the meaning of the name, especially what it means to sanctify. Now there are two chief thoughts concerning that word in the scripture the first is with respect to our position or positionally, and it primarily means there to set apart, to, to separate. And the thought is to separate or set apart unto the Lord for a holy purpose. We notice that periods, places, people, precious metals, they were set apart for the Lord. But secondly, we saw that that word sanctify, it also carries the thought of the resultant holiness of the character of the person who is and has been set apart. And so there's two main thoughts there in that word, sanctify, and it covers both the positive and, as positive and negative aspects of our sanctification. To be separate from wickedness and sin, and also to possess moral qualities and to exhibit them. So we thought about the meaning. We also thought about the model. And God himself is the ultimate separatist. He alone possesses infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably all moral qualities. Our God is a holy God. And he has said unto his people, Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. 
And he has revealed his holiness in Scripture, not only by his names and titles, but by his works and by his laws, both the ceremonial laws and the moral law. But the ultimate expression of the Lord's holiness is, of course, given to us at the cross. And there we see God's hatred and abhorrence for sin, while it is mingled with his love and mercy for his people as he gave his Son up to the suffering of Calvary. The Holy One whom we have offended is the one revealed in Scripture who sanctifies us, who will conform us to the image of Christ. Now, I did say that we would further look at this compound name, Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifieth thee, under two more headings. And that's what we're going to think about tonight as we consider the Lord who sanctifies thee. Let's firstly think about the mandate. We thought about the meaning, we thought about the model, and now we think about the mandate. God's purpose for His chosen people is quite simply that they become holy. And among God's characteristics as He revealed Himself in His Word, none is more significant than His holiness. Holy or holiness is mentioned over 900 times in the Scripture in both the Old and the New Testament. Will they speak more about God's holiness than any other of His attributes? And as He is a holy God, He is not able to tolerate our sin. Habakkuk 1 verse 13, it says, Thou art of pure eyes, and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. And since this is the case, then it follows for His people to be in His immediate presence. We must be holy. We must become holy. And we're told that in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now all men will see the Lord. We know that. But the sense of that word see in that verse No man shall see the Lord. It means to dwell with Him, to enjoy Him, to be in His presence. And it is a holy people and only a holy people who dwell with God. Now this purpose, this intention, this mandate to use the heading of the Lord for His people that they would become holy, it's presented in many verses in the New Testament. You think of the name that was given unto Christ, Matthew chapter 1. And the verse 21, we're told there, the angel said unto Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. His design, Christ's design in coming into this world, was not only to save his people from the penalty of their sins, and the focus there is primarily upon their justification, but also from the power and the pollution of their sins. And the focus there is, of course, upon their sanctification. And by Christ's atonement, the penalty, the power, and the pollution of our sin is dealt with. That's what Christ came to accomplish by dying upon the tree. And there's many scriptures that make us clear that That our sanctification, along with our other spiritual blessings like justification and adoption, all those other things, they are procured by the bloodshedding of Jesus Christ. Our sanctification, our becoming like Jesus Christ, being conformed into His image, has been purchased, has been procured by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'll take you to a reference, Romans chapter 6 and the verse number 6. Romans 6 and the verse 6. And we read there, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Listen, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now there Paul identifies believers with Christ in his burial and his resurrection. This means that not only did Christ die, not only did Christ what not only was Christ buried, not only did he rise from the dead, but also those who were united to him, likewise they died, they were buried, and they rose to newness of life in Jesus Christ. And the truth is that our union with Christ and his death and his resurrection affects and it impacts our death to sin and our walk in newness of life. Romans 6, you read on down, it it clearly teaches that the purpose of our union with Christ is that we should not serve sin. In other words, that we should be holy, that we should be sanctified. That is one of the purposes, the mandate of our God in our salvation is that we should not serve sin, that we would be sanctified, that we would become more holy. You see, Christ in his death and in his resurrection, well, he broke the power of sin. He triumphed over Satan. And by our union with him, he wrought for us a victory and freed us from the dominion of sin and from the power of Satan. And therefore, we can walk in newness of life. The sanctification of God's people, and that is the Lord's work in us, is something, as I said, that has been purchased by what Christ has done for us. Christ's atonement is a meritorious cause of our sanctification. And that is something we should never forget. It's something that is sure. It's something that is guaranteed because Christ has died, rather has risen again. Titus chapter 2, to give you another reference. And in verse 14, it it tells us again there that the intention of Christ's death was not merely to deliver us from sin's penalty, but also to deliver us from sin's power and pollution. It tells us there he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. There is no sanctification apart from the death of Jesus Christ. One man, he made this comment. He said, the Bible could not be any clearer. The reason for your salvation, the design behind your deliverance, the purpose for which God chose you in the first place is holiness. It is holy that we become a holy people. Now, another clear text which teaches us this. Concerning God's holiness mandate for His people, it's found in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read verses 3 and 4. Here's God's mandate, God's purpose, God's intention for you, child of God. You might think, well, that's it, deliverance from hell and heaven. No, it's much more. It's this sanctification, making us holy, conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could think of Romans chapter 8, which teaches us that as well. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Listen, here's why we're chosen. Here's why Christ is sent, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And here the Apostle Paul states once again that the object, the mandate for which God has chosen his people, it's not merely that you and I should enter heaven. It's not that that we should even maybe be saved and then live a life in sin. It's not that we might flatter ourselves that all is safe and we can then live as we please. You know, there's much of that erroneous teaching around. The tendency among people is to abuse this doctrine of predestination and election to lead people to say, well, you know, if things are fixed, well then there's no need for effort. If God's got an eternal plan, well then it doesn't matter how how an individual lives, we're going to be saved anyway. If he has elected us, and since we cannot change his plan, well then it makes no difference if we just continue in sin. But the Apostle Paul, he held no such view. The mandate of God is that we be holy as He is holy. And really, the thought of our election is, in Paul's apprehension, a doctrine which should stimulate gratitude in the heart of the believer that moves us in the pursuit of holiness. That's what Paul is is pointing out here. This is why he brings all this glorious doctrine before them that they're chosen, that they should be holy, and that moves the heart to pursue holiness. Matthew Henry made this comment in verse 4. He said, observe here one great end and design of this choice. Chosen that we should be holy. Not because he foresaw they would be holy, but because he determined to make them so. All who are chosen to happiness as the end are chosen to holiness as the means. Their sanctification as well as their salvation is a result of the counsels of divine love. We also notice from this verse, verse 4, that the Lord's mandate is not a mere outward and external holiness of his people. He has chosen us that we might be without blame before Him. Before the one who sees and looks upon the heart. Here's an inward and an eternal work, a holiness which is within. Not just the outward forms of religion, but an inward holiness. And this is God's mandate for us. Now there's all our verses in the New Testament which set forth God's purpose, God's mandate for His people. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Again, it reveals the intention of the atonement of Christ. Not simply our justification, but also our sanctification. Because He gave Himself for the church, it tells us there, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, we're told, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Verse 7, in the same chapter, it tells us there, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but what are we called unto? Unto holiness. This is why He has called us. He will fulfill this mandate in us. 
Now, how are we to utilize this knowledge in prayer? If this is his mandate, if this is his purpose, how do we utilize this in our praying unto our God? Well, quite simply, you and I, we can pray like godly Robert Murray McShane. Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. Jabez in the Old Testament, how did he pray? He prayed, Lord, keep me from the evil that it might not grieve me. You see, every true child of God has this inward desire for holiness. 1 John 3 and verse 3, it teaches us that. And we are to go to God in prayer. The one who is revealed by this name, Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies thee, and we're to confess to him our faults, we're to confess to him our feelings, but we're to ask him to work out this divine, eternal mandate in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, to make us holy in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, to make us holy in every sphere of our living, to make us holy both inward and outwardly, Go to God, child of God, on the basis of the merits of the blood of Christ and humbly bring the holy argument before him and before his throne and say that because Christ has died to make me holy, God, work this out in my life. That's how you pray. That's how you pray in the knowledge of this revelation. Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifieth thee. This is what he says he will do for us. This is his intention for us. We feel, we sin, we lament our own inward proneness to wander from him. And yet, and yet, God's purpose is to make us holy. And this is how we go to him in prayer. This is how we are to pray. Because we know that when we pray this, we're praying in his will. And he will hear and he will answer. So that's the mandate. But the second point tonight and the final point I want us to consider is the means. We thought about the meaning, the model, the mandate, but the means. Now there's something we must understand and that is the progressive nature of sanctification. It's a process, it's a work as the catechism teaches And while it's imperfect in life, we have to say it is sure because Christ has secured it for his people, secured a complete and an eternal salvation which includes their sanctification culminating in their glorification. But how does God make us holy? What means does he use? We have seen the meritorious cause is the atonement, but how is this worked out in our life? Well, the Lord uses certain things to fulfill His mandate in us, and it's accomplished by the operation of the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. Now, this is something to encourage our souls. For while we have a duty and responsibility in the matter of sanctification, we also have Jehovah M. Kadesh within us. The Holy Ghost dwells within us. He is the agent of the divine trinity who is primarily involved in the sanctification of the believer because he is the one who applies the merits of the atonement to the individual. He is the one who enables us to walk in the newness of life. And that's why we read from 1 Peter chapter 1 and the verse 2. Because it speaks there of the Spirit's role in sanctification. I'll act according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, 
unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. It is the Spirit who regenerates us, whereby we are enabled or we are able to obediently believe in Christ. And then to know what it is to have applied to us the cleansing power of the blood, the blood of sprinkling. And that's to do with sanctification, the blood of sprinkling. It's the blood of cleansing, the blood of purification. And so the Spirit there, He applies the blessings, He he enables us, He regenerates us, that we might obediently believe in Jesus Christ, as it tells us there, but also unto the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Purification. We also read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in the verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, beloved brethren, or brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you unto salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us from the inside out because He dwells within You see, all sin is first a matter of the mind and of the heart before it is a matter matter of behavior. And this work of sanctification, it extends to the entire being of the Christian. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. and, And here we have a verse that is often wrongly used to prove perfectionism. It's often used in that erroneous way. But we read there, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the meaning there is not that we become sinlessly perfect in this life. Rather that sanctification reaches every part of our being. The word holy means through and through. As one theologian put it, as original corruption pervades the whole man, so sanctifying grace extends to every part. And again, what an encouragement that is. To know that that will reach to every part of our being. That He will sanctify you wholly through and through. As I mentioned, your thought life, your words, your deeds, whatever it might be. What an encouragement that is. But we are not to limit the work of sanctification. We need to be careful that we don't limit the work of sanctification to the spiritual part of man only. But it extends to the physical part as well, the body. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in ye, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now as I said, the source of our sanctification is the Lord ourselves. But that does not mean we're passive in the matter of our sanctification. Becoming holy is not, to use a modern expression, just letting go and letting God. You hear that in some of these liberal places, letting go and letting God. When passive and, well, God said He's going to do this. Well, I just sit back and 
He's going to do it all for me. The scripture does not teach that. Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13. And Paul teaches there that, that a walk of holiness, it involves the believer's will. Albeit that's a will that has been changed by God himself. But a belie- it involves the believer's will. That's the inclination, which then has the outward effect of the volitional choice, their actions. But it, believes, it involves the believer's will, but also the power of God. And that's something that was previously taught in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. What the Lord say, I will put my spirit within you. Listen, this is what he says, and cause you to walk in my statutes. But then here's the believer's will. The believer's volitional choice to act. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. For the child of God, there are means to be employed in our sanctification. There are inward means and our outward means. Now I suppose we're always thinking about the outward, the tangible, but there are inward means as well, which we are to employ. What are they? Well, there's the graces of faith and hope and joy and love and peace. And you know, when they're exercised by the believer, well then, holiness increases within the believer. You might ask, well, how is that? How if we exercise love and, and joy and peace and, and hope? Well, how does that mean we become more holy? Well, Christ possessed those graces in their fullness. And becoming more holy is essentially becoming more like Him. And so the more joyful we are, the more gracious we are, the more loving we are, the more hopeful we are, the more at peace we are. Well, in effect, we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. We are to abound. We are to grow in those graces as the Spirit enables us. But what are the outward means that we are to attend to? What are the outward means that the Holy Ghost operates within and upon? Well, there's four that are chiefly used by the Holy Ghost. Firstly, and you'll know these, but firstly, there is the Word of God. The Word of God, the Lord Jesus prayed in His high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 17. He prayed there, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. The truth of God's Word. It nourishes and it exercises the principles of grace that have been implanted in your soul. That's what it does. The Word of God is the principal means used by the Holy Ghost for our sanctification. Whether that's the preaching of God's Word, the reading of God's Word, the hearing of God's Word, the meditating upon God's Word. The Word of God is the principal means. We're told in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are washed by the Word. The psalmist, he asked the question, Psalm 119, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is given by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Therefore, if you and I, if we want to progress in sanctification, if we want to become more and more like Jesus Christ, if we're to fulfill this mandate that God has for our lives, well then we are to be daily in the word of truth. Why is that? Well, this world that we live in, what does it do? It bombards us with all the lies and all the filth and all the sin. And how foolish it would be if the believer not to to purge or to flush out all those lies, all that deception, all that filth. 
How foolish it would be not to purge ourselves, to flush ourselves out of all those things by not using the Word of God, the Word of truth. See, as the Word of God dwells within us, the Spirit of God brings to our minds the precepts and the doctrines of truth, and He applies them to our hearts with power. And in that way, we are convicted of our sin, and we are enabled to repent of sin. In that way, we will uh, be conformed and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We will therefore die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. What's that? Well, that's mortification and vivification. Two parts, two aspects of our sanctification. So there is, firstly, the Word of God, an external means. Secondly, another external means is prayer. I've already mentioned this, how we're to pray in the light of God's mandate to make us a holy holy people on the grounds of the atonement. You see, in the act of prayer, the soul engages in communion with God. And the nearer, the, the, the truth, the fact of the matter is, the nearer that you and I come to a holy God, the more we will see our need and our desire for holiness. God has also promised He's promised to answer those believing prayers of his saints and give unto them those things that nurture and increase our graces, which makes us holy. But thirdly, so we have the external means of the word, the external means of prayer, but we have the means of the sacraments. The Lord's Supper and Baptism, these are not to be neglected by the Christian. Sadly, they are. But they're not to be neglected by the Christian who is pursuing holiness, and every true Christian will. You see, those ordinances, they set before us in visible manner the great truths of which they are merely symbols and signs. That's all they do. The sacraments are designed to lead us to Jesus Christ. The grace that we receive through the sacraments, it's not... A different grace that we receive through the, the preaching of the word or prayer. It's not, a, it's not a better grace. Nor are the sacraments better ways to access that sanctifying grace. None of those things. They are just different means by which the Holy Spirit applies sanctifying grace in our lives. You see, in those visible representations, we're reminded what? of our union with Christ and what it cost him to affect that union, his death. They are means that use our sight, our taste, our touch, and our smell. Senses we maybe don't maybe use in, in other external means. What is all they do is impress upon us the same great truths of the gospel. The fourth external means is divine providence. God's providences, whether they be prosperous or whether they be adverse, they're powerful means of sanctifying us. You see, when we understand His providence in the light of His Word, and as the Holy Ghost inclines our hearts to, to embrace the truth that those providences seek to impress upon us, then through them we are sanctified. For example, when we go through Trials in this life, we're weaned from the world. Or when we are greatly blessed, 
What rises up within our hearts? Gratitude, love, adoration, all these things. The psalmist was able to say, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn their statute. You see, when we are chastened by the dark providence of our God, in order that we might profit, this is why he does it, and become partakers of his holiness. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 10, or sorry, 12 in the verse 10. So as we attend to the means of grace, and the Spirit of God operates Upon them and through them, God enables us to become what He has intended for us, what He has commanded us to be, holy. Holy. Jehovah M. Kadesh. It's not merely a revelation of His divine nature, but it's also an assurance of His divine help in this purpose to make us a holy people. He will sanctify us. And that is something that we experience now, sanctification, and something that we will know the fullness of in the hereafter. And what a thought that is, child of God, to be perfectly holy in body and in soul. That is our inheritance. You think what that means, to be perfect, holy in your soul. No doubt there. No fear there. No apprehension there. No unbelief there. To have a a perfect soul and holiness. That is God's mandate for you, child of God. For that perfect holy soul to inhabit a perfect holy body in a perfect holy environment for all eternity. God will work out that purpose in each one of His children. And that is why a carnal Christian, a worldly Christian, is a contradiction in terms. And it is a denial of what Christ came to accomplish for you and for me. Let's pray to God on the basis of this compound name, Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord which sanctifies thee. He will do it. And surely, like me, you would have to confess, we need it. We all do. But God has promised to do it in our lives. May the Lord bless His Word to our hearts for His own name's sake. We'll have a word of prayer just before the Reverend Greer comes and leads in another hymn, then brings announcements to the congregation. So that's just unite ourselves together in prayer. Heavenly Father and eternal God, we thank Thee once again for a revelation of Thy person in this great name, Jehovah M. Kadesh. And we thank Thee, Lord, that Thou art the one who sanctifieth us. We thank Thee for the atonement. And we thank Thee, Lord, for our justification. For He was delivered for our offenses, but He was raised again for our justification. But we thank the Lord that Christ, by dying upon the tree, and by our union with Him, we have become dead to sin, and we have been raised to newness and life, and there is our sanctification. We thank Thee for the cross work of the Lord Jesus. We thank Thee, Lord, those whom You justify, You'll also sanctify, and You'll glorify them, Father. And we rejoice in this, O God. But Lord, help us not to think that we are passive, Lord, help us to attend to the means of grace. 
We know that ultimately, Lord, that thou art the one who does the work. You're the one who worketh in us, both to will and to do. And yet, Lord, we have that responsibility. We have that duty. Lord, help us, Lord. Give us holy desire to attend to the means of grace, the Word of God, prayer, the sacraments. And, Lord, to read divine providence in the light of thy great intention for us. Lord, bless us, sanctify us as a people. Lord, make us a holy people. We, we need this in our lives. Lord, every part of us, sanctify us holy. Sanctify us through and through. Our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our demeanor, our conduct, our appearance. Lord, thou hast called us unto holiness. Made us a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And we pray, O God, that thou would fulfill thy purpose in our lives. Make us willing to be willing. Lord, have thine own way in our lives. Bless thy dear children. Encourage their souls through the word. We ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.